Is it good to enjoy the barbecue with you this afternoon? Thank you for those who provided it. We return to Joshua chapter 2. And as our won't, we'll be finished a little bit early tonight. That is, if you think we normally finish at half seven, we will be finished, God willing, a wee bit before that. But from Joshua chapter 2, we continue our study. We began this morning, and we're going to read from verse 14 of Joshua chapter 2. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So Rahab let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, Go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on their then go on your way. The men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, anyone, if anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell us, if, if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. And that concludes the story of Rahab at this particular point in her history. She's mentioned again in Joshua chapter 6, and then, as I mentioned this morning, in various places in the New Testament more so than Joshua or Caleb or any of the other great heroes of the Israelites. So this woman is drawn into the line of the Messiah, as we saw this morning. But it wasn't just a question of her having faith and recognizing the the greatness of that which God was going to do through the Israelites in their destruction of the Amorites because of their spiritual wickedness and immorality. She wanted to be safe. She wanted to have some sort of sense that having put her faith in the God of glory, that somehow or other she would be kept safe with her family as far as the rest of her experience was concerned. And so she says to these men before they leave her, she says, I want you to give some sort of token that I will be safe and my family will be safe when you conquer 
the city of Jericho. Now we know from later history that after the Israelites had walked around the city for seven days, and on the seventh they shouted and played loud noises on the trumpet, that the walls of the city fell down flat. And you will have noticed in our reading that Rahab's house was in the wall. Interesting, isn't it? So here are two men, and they have to give her a token of safety. And they say to her, you bring all of your household into your own particular house, and we will guarantee that you will be kept safe. This vow that we have made to you is faithful as far as the God of Israel is concerned. And I really admire the faith of these men. I really admire the way in which God so designed the walls of Jericho that when they fell down flat, the particular piece of wall on which Rahab's house was didn't. That's later in the story, of course. So what's this actually about, as Rahab says, look, I want you to give me a token. Well, they said to her, look, you have to demonstrate that you're exercising faith in the vow that you've asked us to take. And they said, we want you to bind this scarlet cord in your window. Now, it wasn't magic. God doesn't deal in magic. This was a demonstration of the token of the vow that the men had given her to be safe. And they were effectively saying, look, you nail your colors to the mast as we ask you to in order to demonstrate that your faith is truly in the word of God which we have given you, that your household will be safe as long as they stay within the doors of the house. But it raises an interesting facet, doesn't it? It was interesting that John chose to quote as he was mentioning the the blood of the Lord Jesus and Graham mentioned it as well that this was something that had been mentioned in relation to the Israelites when they were coming out of Israel, God uh, coming out of Egypt. God had said, you slay a lamb, you put its blood on the doorposts and on the lintel and when I see the blood I will pass over you, hence they name of the feast, the Passover feast. So blood had been shed. Now, interestingly enough, if you look up the word scarlet, if you have any sort of Bible dictionary at home, you'll see that almost inevitably it was made from the blood, the color was made from the blood of a crushed worm, or some say the blood of a crushed snail. But either way, the snail or the worm had to die in order to provide the coloring for the scarlet cord. That these, folk, that these men had said to Rahab, she had to fasten in the window. And when you begin to think about that, you will recognize that God demanded the shedding of blood right from the parents' first sin until the sacrifice was completely demonstrated to be sufficient in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this scarlet cord or this scarlet thread You can trace right through the Old Testament. It begins in Genesis chapter 3. You'll remember that Adam and Eve had tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves. And the Lord said, well, that's not really any clothing. Who told you you were naked? If I'm going to clothe you, it will be on the basis of the sacrifice of an animal. And you discover that the Lord God clothes them with skins. So right from the beginning of our sinful nature... 
the covering, the way in which we could continue to survive, if I can put it as bluntly as that, was through the shedding of blood, the blood of an innocent animal. So you find that in Genesis chapter 3. I don't want to trace it all the way through, but you'll find the principle of sacrifice immediately occurs in the children of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. And Abel offered a sacrifice which was acceptable to God because he took of the firstlings of his flock, that beautiful phrase. And he sacrificed them in order to bring a covering for his sin. Whereas Cain tried to do it his way and said, well, I give the Lord of the fruit of the ground and that's what the Lord will require. And the book says absolutely clearly that God had respect unto Abel and his sacrifice, not unto Cain. You come into the, we've touched already, on the Passover. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. When you come into Exodus 20 and the instructions in relation to the tabernacle, you will find immediately the high priest is introduced and his responsibility is to make sacrifice. Make sacrifice for the people of Israel. And that continues, I was going to say, ad infinitum, or day after day, as the writer of the Hebrews says in the New Testament. Day after day, every priest standeth daily, offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of the majesty and high. So all the way through Scripture, you have this emphasis upon blood, upon scarlet, upon that which is necessary in order to provide a covering or an atonement for sin. Interesting, again, when you come to the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah never talks about sin as being black. He never talks about people having black hearts. He talks about sin being like scarlet. Though your sins be like crimson, though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as wool, they shall be as white as snow. So when the blood is applied over our sin, you will recognize it immediately makes a covering because it's the same color as far as God's concerned. And I'm simplifying it, but you recognize what it's saying. So it's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. And you and I, you know, we've come together and we've taken bread and we've drunk the cup in memory of the fact that the Lord Jesus became our sacrifice for our sin on the cross. It's the only way in which God could provide a permanent covering for sin. The only way God could provide an atonement. All of these other sacrificial elements in the Old Testament pointing forward to the fact that there was going to be a perfect sacrifice one day that would take away sin. It would deal with this basic question of our human nature. Now you see how that lies back as I read it into Joshua chapter 2 and the scarlet cord which Rahab was told to bind in the window. It could have been any colour. could have been plain hemp. But they demanded a, a scarlet cord. They demanded that which was dyed as a result of the sacrifice of an animal to put it at its boldest. So where are we in this? I've mentioned how much the, the men are trusting God to provide some sort of miraculous escape for Rahab. Because her house is part of the city wall. That's emphasized twice in our reading. It was built into the city wall. It was actually part of that city which was going to be the first that would experience the judgment of God. 
And yet somehow or other God was going to preserve this woman and her family and draw her into the inheritance of Israel. Why then did Rahab bind this cord in the window? You know, it's an obvious sort of question. And you know the answer. Why did she do it? She tied the scarlet cord in the window, the last phrase of verse 21. Verse 18, unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you brought your father, mother, etc. into the house, then we'll not be responsible. So their blood, in that sense, is in Rahab's hands. And she has this immediate reaction. As soon as she lets the men down, she immediately binds the the scarlet cord in the window. She expresses her faith in the promise, not her faith in the scarlet cord. Don't get the images mixed here. It's her faith in the promise. And she's demonstrating that by the action which she's taken. And she ties the scarlet cord in the window. And she does it immediately. Because she doesn't know how soon the judgment of God is going to come upon Jericho. She knows that it's not going to be within three days, but she still ties it on immediately. I think she was probably a bit like me, and she was afraid she might forget. Or she might, having thought about it, think, well, what's the point in doing this? It was a reminder to her of the promise, and you can see her walking past this window day after day, can't you? And she sees the scarlet cord there, and she says, oh, guys, maybe a promise. And I'm going to bring my family into my house. And I'm going to bring him into this place of safety, which is a place of safety because of the promise. Not a place of safety because of the court. So she writes, supplies shelter for all of her family. And I love the reiteration of this. You know, in verse 18, unless you brought your father, mother, brothers, and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be in his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be in our head if a hand is laid on him. But you're not to tell anyone except your immediate family. Now, we know the sequel. We'll be touching on it again later on in our story of Rahab because at the end of chapter 6, we discover the little phrase that her family and her were kept safe and her house was not damaged. Not because there was a scarlet cord, but because the promise was secured by what the scarlet cord represented. So you and I are in this position, aren't we? Because we we, we live by faith. We trust in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. We haven't any other option. There ain't no other way out. The only way we can ever know safety from the judgment of God is by trusting in the Savior and the Savior alone, that his sacrifice is sufficient, that his death for me on the cross when he died for my sin is sufficient for my sin. I think I remember as a child of eight, suddenly recognized that. You know, coming to this point of saying, well, if Jesus died and he died for me, then if I trust him as my Savior, then I must be safe. Savior, safe. And I wasn't a very bright eight-year-old. But in that sense, I recognized for the first time that the Lord Jesus died for me. 
and that I can trust him, this living Lord Jesus, this risen one, whoever lives to intercede for me, I could trust him absolutely for my salvation without any sort of measure of doubt. She's received amongst the people of God. Absolutely no right to be there. We touched on her background this morning. You and I have no right to be called upon the people of God. We have no right to call God our Father. See, of that which is vouchsafed to us through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The Lord said to the Pharisees, you'll remember on one occasion, you're off your father, the devil. And we're all there. Unless God in his mercy intervenes through Christ. So she marries the salmon, the Israelite, who's mentioned in the lineage of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. She becomes mother to Boaz. And when you read the little book of Ruth, you suddenly discover that Boaz was a mighty man of wealth. I think it's in chapter 2 of that little book. A mighty man of wealth. And his mother was a harlot. But a harlot who's been brought into the nation of Israel through the mercy of God because she exercised faith in the word of these spies whom she'd never met before until they appeared on this particular day. Moaz, sorry, Boaz marries Ruth. And you all know the story of Ruth. Because through Ruth, Rahab becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. Why? Because she trusted in God. You and I have been called into the family of God. We're part of this great mystical completion, which is the Church of Christ. We are brought into this relationship with God, which is eternal. This God becomes our Father through the Son by the work of the Spirit, so that you and I are brought into a relationship which is necessarily eternal. Please don't ever think you can be saved and lost. Because that is to denigrate the value of the blood of the Lord Jesus. That is not to recognize the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. You can't be brought into God's Father one day and thrown out the next. How can you become a son of the Father and the next day be not acknowledged as a, as a son or a daughter? And you know, this whole bloodline that I've been talking about is expressed in this relationship. Now, when you come into Joshua 6, and I'm anticipating a future message, in verses 23 and 25 of Joshua 6, it says this, She lives among the Israelites to this day. And you think to yourself, that's great. What a transformation. This dear woman been brought out of the family of the Amorites and brought into the family of the Israelites, and it's great. But then you discover, as already mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, she becomes part of the line of the Messiah. And she's brought into this kingly perspective where she becomes a citizen of the tribe of Judah because Salmon was off the tribe of Judah. But it doesn't finish there because one day you're going to meet Rahab in glory because you're a child of God and she's a child of God because of all that God has done in the Lord Jesus. And I say it carefully. We have no idea what the faith of one person in Christ 
can bring in terms of transformation to a whole family. You know, her family was dead without her. Her family was dead if they decided to go walk the streets in Jericho. Her family was dead if they chose to go out onto the walls of Jericho and mock the Israelites for seven days as they walked around outside the, the, the city. They, you know, they had no other option. There was no other possibility of safety. But I will guarantee that when Rahab got them all in and the Israelites started their walks around the city, she locked the door and kept them in. And they weren't going to climb down the wall and she wasn't going to let them down on a, scar- on a rope outside the, outside the window. Because she recognized that she could trust absolutely the word of God. And she lives amongst the Israelites until this day. And as part of the Christian family forever. One of those folk I'm really looking forward to meeting in glory. Rahab, what was it like? Oh, absolutely transforming. What sort of blessings? I can't describe the blessings it brought me into. You want to see my grandson? You know, you can just hear the, the chat, the way we are. To trust the Lord and his forgiveness is the greatest thing in life. Enjoy him and enjoy the blessings that are secured for us through the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together and I will sing our closing song. Father, once again we stand amazed at your grace, amazing grace. We call such a woman into your family, but then we recognize that you've called us and that's even more amazing. You brought us into this line of the Messiah, the subsequence of his death. We become part of the church And your word reminds us that we become the bride of Christ. And it's beyond our comprehension, Lord, but it's just terrific. And we want to thank you tonight. We pray that as we reflect on these things this week, it may bring joy and gladness to our hearts, to recognize our future is secure, to recognize that whatever happens in life, through death we are brought into the immediacy of your presence. And so we rejoice in that this evening and pray in your mercy that we'll just express our joy in you and our experience of you to our neighbors and friends through Christ our Lord. Amen.